Section nine of the Dove's Nest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dove's Nest and Other Stories by Catherine Mansfield. Six years after. It was not the afternoon to be on deck. On the contrary, it was exactly the afternoon when there is no snugger place than a warm cabin, a warm bunk. Tucked up with a rug, a hot water bottle and a piping hot cup of tea, she would not have minded the weather in the least. But he hated cabins, hated to be inside anywhere more than was absolutely necessary. He had a passion for keeping, as he called it, above board, especially when he was travelling. And it wasn't surprising, considering the enormous amount of time he spent cooped up in the office. So when he rushed away from her as soon as they got on board, and came back five minutes later to say he had secured two deck chairs on the lee side, and the steward was undoing the rugs, her voice through the high sealskin collar murmured, Good and because he was looking at her she smiled with bright eyes and blinked quickly as if to say yes perfectly all right absolutely and she meant it then we'd better said he and he tucked her hand inside his arm and began to rush her off to where the two chairs stood but she just had time to breathe not so fast daddy please when he remembered too and slowed down strange they had been married twenty-eight years and it was still an effort to him each time to adapt his pace to hers not cold are you he asked glancing sideways at her her little nose geranium pink above the dark fur was answer enough but she thrust her free hand into the velvet pocket of her jacket and murmured gaily i shall be glad of my rug he pressed her tighter to his side a quick nervous pressure he knew of course that she ought to be down in the cabin he knew that it was no afternoon for her to be sitting on deck in this cold and raw mist lee side or no lee side rugs or no rugs and he realised how she must be hating it but he had come to believe that it really was easier for her to make these sacrifices than it was for him take their present case for instance if he had gone down to the cabin with her, he would have been miserable the whole time, and he couldn't have helped showing it. At any rate, she would have found him out. Whereas, having made up her mind to fall in with his ideas, he would have bettered anybody she would even go so far as to enjoy the experience. Not because she was without personality of her own. Good Lord, she was absolutely brimming with it. But because... But here his thoughts always stopped here they always felt the need of a cigar as it were and looking at the cigar tip his fine blue eyes narrowed it was a law of marriage he supposed all the same he always felt guilty when he asked these sacrifices of her that was what the quick pressure meant his being said to her being you do understand don't you and there was an answering tremor of her fingers i understand certainly the steward good little chap had done all in his power to make them comfortable 
he had put up their chairs in whatever warmth there was and out of the smell she did hope he would be tipped adequately it was on occasions like these and her life seemed to be full of such occasions that she wished it was the woman who controlled the purse thank you steward that will do beautifully why are stewards so often delicate looking she wondered as her feet were tucked under this poor little chap looks as though he'd got a chest and yet one would have thought the sea air the button of the pigskin purse was undone the tray was tilted she saw sixpences shillings half-crowns i should give him five shillings she decided and tell him to buy himself a good nourishing he was given a shilling and he touched his cap and seemed genuinely grateful well it might have been worse it might have been sixpence it might indeed for at that moment father turned towards her and said half apologetically stuffing the purse back i gave him a shilling i think it was worth it don't you oh quite every bit said she it is extraordinary how peaceful it feels on a little steamer once the bustle of leaving port is over in a quarter of an hour one might have been at sea for days there is something almost touching childish in the way people submit themselves to the new conditions they go to bed in the early afternoon they shut their eyes and it's night like little children who turn the table upside down and cover themselves with the tablecloth and those who remain on deck they seem to be always the same those few hardened men travellers pause light their pipes stamp softly gaze out to sea and their voices are subdued as they walk up and down the long-legged little girl chases after the red-cheeked boy but soon both are captured and the old sailor swinging an unlighted lantern passes and disappears he lay back the rug up on his chin and she saw he was breathing deeply sea air if any one believed in sea air it was he he had the strongest faith in its tonic qualities but the great thing was according to him to fill the lungs with it the moment you came on board otherwise the sheer strength of it was enough to give you a chill she gave a small chuckle and he turned to her quickly what is it it's your cap she said i never can get used to you in a cap you look such a thorough burglar well what the deuce am i to wear he shot up one grey eyebrow and wrinkled his nose it's a very good cap too very fine specimen of its kind it's got a very rich white satin lining he paused he declaimed as he had hundreds of times before at this stage rich and rare were the gems she wore but she was thinking he really was childishly proud of the white satin lining he would like to have taken off his cap and made her feel it feel the quality how often had she rubbed between finger and thumb his coat his shirt cuff tie sock linen handkerchief while he said that she slipped down more deeply into her chair and the little steamer pressed on pitching gently over the grey unbroken gently moving water that was veiled with slanting rain far out 
as though idly listlessly gulls were flying now they settled on the waves now they beat up into the rainy air and shone against the pale sky like the lights within a pearl they looked cold and lonely how lonely it will be when we have passed by she thought there will be nothing but the waves and those birds and rain falling she gazed through the rust-spotted railing along which big drops trembled until suddenly she shut her lips it was as if a warning voice inside her had said don't look no i won't she decided it's too depressing much too depressing but immediately she opened her eyes and looked again lonely birds water lifting white pale sky how were they changed and it seemed to her there was a presence far out there between the sky and the water someone very desolate and longing watched them pass and cried as if to stop them but cried to her alone mother don't leave me sounded the cry don't forget me you're forgetting me you know you are and it was as though from her own breast there came the sound of childish weeping my son my precious child it isn't true Shh. How was it possible that she was sitting there on that quiet steamer beside father and at the same time she was hushing and holding a little slender boy, so pale, who had just waked out of a dreadful dream? I dreamed I was in a wood, somewhere far away from everybody, and I was lying down and a great blackberry vine grew over me, and I called and called to you, and you wouldn't come, you wouldn't come, so I had to lie there forever what a terrible dream he had always had terrible dreams how often years ago when he was small she had made some excuse and escaped from their friends in the dining-room or the drawing-room to come to the foot of the stairs and listen mother and when he was asleep his dream had journeyed with her back into the circle of lamplight it had taken its place there like a ghost and now far more often at all times in all places like now for instance she never settled down she was never off her guard for a moment but she heard him he wanted her i am coming as fast as i can as fast as i can but the dark stairs have no ending and the worst dream of all the one that is always the same goes forever and ever uncomforted this is anguish how is it to be borne still it is not the idea of her suffering which is unbearable it is his can one do nothing for the dead and for a long time the answer had been nothing but softly without a sound the dark curtain has rolled down there is no more to come that is the end of the play but it can't end like that so suddenly there must be more no it's cold it's still there is nothing to be gained by waiting but did he go back again or when the war was over did he come home for good surely he will marry later on not for several years surely one day i shall remember his wedding and my first grandchild a beautiful dark-haired boy born in the early morning a lovely morning spring oh mother it's not fair to me to put these ideas into my head stop mother stop when i think of all i have missed i can't bear it 
I can't bear it. She sits up breathing the words and tosses the dark rug away. It's colder than ever, and now the dusk is falling, falling like ash upon the pallid water. And the little steamer, growing determined, throbbed on, pressed on, as if at the end of the journey there waited. End of section 9. Recording by Rob Marland.